0: You know, we've thought about finding interesting uh, intersections between the different keys as well as um, finding something that really shows Mozart uh, and his development as an, uh, an opera composer as well, you know, throughout that whole trajectory from the 18, 19 year old uh, to also, you know, at the very end of his career when he's writing things that are just so sublime and so lyrical.
1: I heard you talk in another interview about um, how Mozart really grabbed you as a kid, and that's not like a really common thing sometimes with uh, younger people, you know, young musicians, kids who who are serious about music and learning music, to really grab onto Mozart and 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 to uh, have that spark with Mozart. In fact, sometimes kids think he's kind, of, kind boring. of boring. Boring.
0: <laughs> not just kids. It's really funny. I um I feel like um after recitals that my parents come to, um, they, they still say, oh, yeah, I loved the off the Chopin was fantastic. And there's never that comment about the Mozart. And um, it's sort of become one of my real-life goals to, to be infectious with um, you know the love of Mozart and just sort of saying, hey, by the way, here's how we can listen to it. Here's how it could be different. And it's not just sort of notes on the page. And I, I think there is this kind of um, uh, mistranslation of what it's like to um, play – exactly in the bars, with the bar lines, as written, so to speak, and actually read between the lines in that music and find all the life and all the character and all the joy, the sadness, um, and all of the gesture in that music. It's really spectacular and uh, deep music.
1: And all the voices. I've heard you talk about that, too, about hearing and playing the voices of Mozart. Uh, and, and you just alluded to, you know, finding the, the opera in Mozart. You know, I was one of those kids... Um, who thought Mozart was, you know, boring when I when I was, you <laughs> know, twelve, thirteen years old, a young musician? But then I heard Don Giovanni for the first time, and then you know I heard Così fan Tutti. and then I I played in an opera orchestra for you know Marriage Figaro, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, and and that just changed everything. You know, I heard everything as an opera aria.
0: I was just going to say. Um you know, if you're not into Mozart, all you have to do is listen to Don Giovanni and then it's the gateway into like never leaving Mozart ever again. Um, and it's it's true. I think he um, excelled in every genre and a lot of what he did um, was so unique for that genre. That being said, it's the vocal line that ties absolutely everything together. Um, there's no slow movement of any violin sonata or piano sonata of Mozart or any concerto work, which isn't absolutely um, an aria.
1: What do you listen to when you know, you're studying Mozart when you're working on, say, a complete recording of sonatas or when uh, you're preparing for a concerto. What, what kind of things do you do? Maybe, mm. uh, you know, listening or uh, preparing or, you know, what do you pull out of the music to really roll around, you know, uh, beyond the score?
0: One really has to understand the, the instrument it was written for. One really has to listen to... Um just a lot of, you know, music played on forte pianos because there's just a limitation in terms of how uh, those pianos um, react, as opposed to our big Steinway D's. Now, you know, there's a lot more volume, there's a lot more uh, resonance. You can do a lot more dynamically. But what you really find um, in that instrument, uh, the forte piano, is actually a lot more expression in the way that perhaps Mozart intended. Um, there is a limitation there with the fortes and pianos, and that actually makes you rethink what those markings mean. No matter how good the edition, it could be an no Urtext edition, but um, uh, and you see the the forte in the piano. And of course, your you know your teacher in conservatory will say this is exactly what you must do a forte. This is exactly what you must do a piano. But we forget so much of it is gestural. And um, you know, I I think it might make sense to explain what I mean by gestural. And I think. Um, it's, it's really just um, seeing a group of notes and uh, basically translating that into how I would speak a phrase or how I might, you know, uh, communicate with you and the inflection of my tone uh, and these small, you know, sentences and phrases that I'm making now um, have absolute parallels with, with the music that's being written.
1: had the opportunity to do any uh, opera continuo
0: opera continuo i have to say i'm trying to work back and, and think if i've done any of that i've done a lot of um continuo for um you know arias which are actually from opera but i've not sat in a, in a pit and done that but i've definitely been on stage with baroque orchestras playing a uh, chamber organ and harpsichord with with singers and um also instrumental uh soloists um so this is something that that's uh You know, I think it frames how you you see then all of this music on the modern instrument.
1: David Fung performs with the Detroit Symphony Orchestra on their opening weekend for the 2019-2020 season. Beethoven's Fifth Symphony is included, and Mozart and Bach. You can tell I really wanted to talk about Mozart, but let's swing back around to the Bach again with the Naughton sisters and kind of guide us through this work before we get a chance to hear it this weekend?
0: Well, a lot of Bach concerti were either paraphrases of his own works. Um, Sometimes he'd write them, or most of the time he'd write them, again, in different keys. And he'd find different ways to really bring out characteristics of that instrument. Um, One thing that I think the audiences might be interested to know is that this concerto also exists in a three-violin version. And, uh, you know, you really get, um, again, a a more gestural and more perhaps um, dynamic Rendition maybe with the with the violins just because you you do get the dynamic as opposed to say uh, three harpsichords where Bach was able to write this piece um, sort of adding instruments at different times to create dynamic you know really there was there's no way to play loudly and softly on a harpsichord um, except that you add more strings and therefore in this case you add more harpsichords you add more players um, so in light of that I'm I'm just really curious to see um, what this is like on on three Steinway D's um, and we have all of the the bells and whistles of of a large modern piano with with pedal and with uh, strings that were twice the size of the strings that you know they had in the time
1: and it might be one of those pieces where we come to uh, movement two movement three and in in the audience, you might say, "Oh yeah, I do know this piece from you know some other <laughs> exactly." Experience.
0: Yeah, I mean the, the second movement is is so gorgeous. It's um uh, such an expressive uh, movement where all the the pianists are um, pairing off and and doing duets at different times, and then sometimes all three of us come together. In the last movement, it's um definitely much more lively, and each of us has. A moment where we break out like a jazz band and we sort of just go crazy and riff and have this massive virtuoso solo. And then everyone comes back together. And that's sort of the ritornello, you know, everyone comes back. But then there are these big solo uh, moments where um, we're playing notes so fast that you
1: basically can't hear them. <laughs> I mean, it <they> just. <laughs> David Fung performs with Michelle and Christina Naught Bach this weekend with the Detroit Symphony Orchestra as they open their season. Also Mozart on the program. Oh, and by the way, uh, Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. And uh, David has a new release of Mozart Piano Sonatas as he continues his project of recording all the Mozart Piano Sonatas. David, thanks again for coming in. Thanks for having me. For WRCJ, this is Peter Worf.